We're going to read a scripture here in a second, but before we do that, will you bow your heads and uh, let's pray. Lord God, before you can be magnified and exalted, um, we need to be challenged with how you're magnified and exalted in our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, we come here and we gather and we draw close to you. We seek to see you be revealed more. Holy Spirit, none of this is possible without you, and we need your power, your power of uh, illumination and of clarity and uh, teaching, and, and you know what we need, Lord, whether it touches our emotions or touches our intellect, it's, it needs to rest in our soul, it needs to be in our very being. And so, God, we ask that today would be a day of transformation, that we would come here not out of exercise or out of a a ritual, Lord, but that we would come here seeking, thirsting, uh, desiring to be quenched by You, God. And so, Lord, we ask that Your Word would just come off the pages and be real and incarnate uh, Your values and and, uh, what is biblical, what is righteous, what is holy and sacred into us. Impress upon us, Lord, today things that will change us, change our views, change our thinking, and change our actions. God, we love you, and we know that, um, that this actually scares us to have an encounter with you at times in your power and your authority. And so, Lord, I ask that you would brace us, that you would give us confidence in Jesus. We thank you for the cross and the reconciliation that comes through the blood of Jesus that allows us to even come before you, God, a holy God. And we're wretched and we are sinners, Lord. And so we recognize very clearly the distance that we have between you We also know that you have sized that up and given a perfect solution to that, and that is your Son. And so, Lord, we just ask that uh, we would be reminded, those of us who are traveling by faith in Christ this morning, and those who aren't, Lord, that they would see something attractive, powerful, and maybe even mysterious. So, God, we thank you for this time. We love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stay standing. We're going to read um, from Matthew 28, um, verses 16 through 20, if you want to follow along in your flyer or um, turn to it in your Bibles. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, that's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. If uh, you're new to Red Sea, or if you've been at Red Sea for a while, you may be wondering why we're sitting up here. We decided to uh, do a little team teaching today. Uh, we're probably going to fumble over each other. I'm, I really love interrupting Royce. I love the reactions he gets. So um, just be with me in those interruptions. If you like to interrupt him, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're hoping that, that there will be some harmony uh, to, to these scriptures and into our lives and Today's scripture is a, it's, 
It's a doozy. It's uh, one of the most historic, obvious times and declarations that Christ has said to his disciples, to those who are following him. And so uh, there's, I'm really looking forward to uh, what we'll encounter and what God will bring to us today. Uh, I just want to take you into my week a little bit. I, I had a little dinner party at my house this weekend, and, and I had... Uh, Oh, maybe 20 friends there. And uh, as we were hanging out and sharing a meal and um, just in conversation, listening to, the, to some tunes and uh, laughing and, and just goofing off, I, I began to have this realization that of who was in the room. And I started to think about where they are from and, and a little bit of their story as they've, they've come to be in my home and so as I was looking around the room, I saw people from Pittsburgh, I saw people from New York, I saw people uh, from Seattle and Tacoma and uh, California and uh, Missouri, and I saw people basically uh, from all over the place. And uh, they hadn't just descended upon my house, they had descended into Portland. And for the majority, most of these people are on a journey. They're on a journey where they're following Christ. And uh, so as I began to kind of see, hey, there are people that are following Christ that are here for this city. They're not here necessarily for Red Sea. They're not here necessarily uh, for anything other than to see the kingdom come into, uh, into our city. And so I started to think about that. And, and you could see through the stories that there's wavering commitments. There's times where there's doubt. There's times where there's struggle. But nonetheless, that they were following. And, and, and when I looked at some of the people, and I even thought about it this morning, I think of, well, who are they affecting? Who, who is their life? So they have this journey of life as they're following Christ. But what kind of echo life is coming through them? What kind of reverberations is happening? So as they're following Christ... What is it like for those around them? Are people following them as well? That would be called a disciple of theirs. So somebody they're pouring into, are they pouring into other people as they follow Christ? And so as we think about that, we think about these gatherings and we come together and when we speak about this way of life that Christ has brought through truth, through grace and through unity as we uh, become this collective, this family here. So as, as just from a dinner party or wherever you're at, as you think about people gathering and who they are and what their mission is, um, I would just have you start to think that through. And, and most of all this morning, think, we're going to think through, is the power, you, you need to ask yourself this question, is the power and the presence and the authority of God in your story? Is it in your journey? And if it is so, how is it affecting others? And is that an intentional life? Scripture that was just read talks about a gathering of people. It starts out right at the very beginning, 11. It says that the 11 gathered. Well, where did they gather? This is kind of an interesting story, so let's set up the setting here to this story. The other day we were gathered in my house. This morning some of us are gathered here. And you'll gather throughout your week, right? As we gather, then we also have some scattering. So as we think about what is it that God wants us to see, these 11 came to a gathering where they went to about 3,000 miles up. They were northwest of the Sea of Galilee, and they went to about 3,000 miles up into this mountain region. Well, in this region, uh, 
they could see probably, scholars think it was probably about an 80-mile view, and that they could see in almost all directions. So Jesus has called some to himself, as, as that's a part of our mission, right? We say, draw to Christ. So as Jesus draws us to himself, he's drawing these 11 to himself in this place that there's a new view. Why is there 11? Well, they had just gone through um, watching Jesus be, be crucified. They had just been uh, maybe uh, riddled with doubt themselves. They, they may, their whole life had been jarred as they began to follow Christ. And so Jesus calls this reunion. He calls them into reunion. And this is the setting, this beautiful place, this mountain region. It's very similar to our area. Um, maybe a little bit similar to like um, Smith Rock over near Redmond and, and uh, there's a river that goes through there, the Crooked River. There's some places that you could travel. But this is a long journey that the disciples have gone on to be reunited with Jesus. And what does it say? It says there's two types of people. If you're a note taker, write these two things down, right? It says some worshipped. That means that some, when they get into this setting after the long journey, when they see the risen Christ... This is what's happening as Jesus had gone through, was crucified, buried, and some of them are seeing him for the first time. In Corinthians, uh, Paul says that there's up to 500 people on this mountainside that have made this trek. 500 people seeing this view, and now you're seeing the risen Christ, the one that has redeemed sins. Can you imagine that scene? But it says that some immediately worship. That means externally they, they, they fell. They were in a prone position. They, they completely were exhausted of self, not because of the hike, that they had had this journey, um, some with these 11, knowing that Judas had hung himself days earlier. And so we've got this 11, we've got this fragmentation of this group of people. And when Christ draws, He draws two types of people. He draws people who worship, who believe, who are not hesitating in their view of Christ. And then others who are doubting. That, that Christ, when Christ is revealed, there are some that are ready to worship, that are convinced, that know Him as Redeemer, the risen one, that they, they know, they can taste, they can smell, their soul is captured by the authority of who He is. While there's others who doubt, there's hesitation, there's a lack of convinced. There may be more of thoughts of self than of abandonment to just say, that's God. So Jesus comes in this authority up on this mountainside. I want you to think about that. I want you to think through when you see Christ, when, when the presence and the authority of God really comes through, are you over-doubting? Are you willing and convinced to place your trust. So you think doubters, especially in this scene when Jesus is coming, these are the most, this is the most historic event ever. You're going to be jarred. It's kind of one of those things that even in our life, we should be able to relate to this to say, when we're gathered at times, you get streaks of God's presence and His power. Are we looking for that? Do we want to be a part of that? Do we believe that? It's... The doubter, I think, is, is 
there's some legitimacy. I don't see Jesus saying, I can't believe you're doubting. I think what we see is that He draws closer. So they see Him from a distance. And you start getting the shakes. You're a little nervous. This is a, a ridiculously crazy situation. This is one of those situations where you're going, is this really happening? Is this really happening? He died, and now I see Him alive right in front of me. Is this really happening? Is this moment happening? That's what's happening. They've made this long journey. They've probably had a series of thoughts. Some of them have not responded well when Jesus is being crucified, and they deny Him. Some of them have not responded well, and they've, they've walked in doubt. But for whatever reason, when Jesus appears, there are doubters and worshipers. There are some who immediately want to honor them with what they have. And so then he goes from this point, from this unique and impossible moment, and let me put you to to verse 18, it says, and Jesus came and said. So what he's saying is, I'm going to drink your water. No, I won't. Um, What he's saying is, is, Doubter, worshipers, I'm going to come closer to you. His presence is coming closer. He's, 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 re, he's going to reveal Himself more in detail. As we follow Christ, we see that He comes closer. He becomes more... We begin to know Him more. He reveals Himself in a greater fashion the more we walk with Him. But he says in 18, he says, and Jesus came and said, I think it's interesting, it says, and, and said. So he's coming physically there before them. He's drawing close to them and said, I'm thinking this. What are you thinking? If, if Jesus just resurrected in that ridiculous moment as he's drawing close, I'm thinking some people are in awe. I'm thinking that there's a silence. And when it says Jesus came to them and said, I think he's, he's now breaking that silence. And this is what he says in breaking that silence. In breaking that awe, he speaks very clearly, doesn't he? He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we have this moment where we're wondering and we're in suspense. Are we, are we going to fully risk everything? Or are we waiting on a, on a verdict? But now we hear Jesus the risen one, come before us, break the silence, go within doubters and those who are faithful, those who honor, those who worship, and he comes to them and he, he, he gives this powerful statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Matthew's flow of thought. We're at the end of Matthew, so we need to look at the writer. And what's happening is we're seeing that that the way that this story is told is significant. When you're reading the Word, you begin to see that the way the story is told is significant. There's a rhythm to things. And the rhythm overall, just because we're kind of dipping into Matthew here, is the rhythm of Matthew overall is to show the kingship of Jesus. So throughout these, this Gospel, we see that the king is set up. That Jesus is seen as king. That Jesus' power and authority is seen throughout this thing. And so kind of the crescendo of this book is that he is saying, Jesus, the one with power and authority, the risen one, the redeemer, is now coming and he's, 
He has that at hand, and, and now he is, he is going to transfer that power. He is giving that power over. And so what we see is we see this rhythm of Jesus being presented as king and the whole idea that he's establishing kingdom through this power and authority. And the reason this is crucial is because he's taking that power and authority, that perspective where he says, hey, you have this world, you have this view. Remember, they're on a mountainside, so they have a literal view. You have this world view. All of the sights that we have, we have this view of life as we wake up every day, as we go into our workplaces, as we go into schools, workplaces, parks, as we ride our bikes, drive our cars, we have this view. And Jesus is now saying, here's the refreshment. This power and authority, these resources from kingdom are at hand. And I'm making it very clear now that I've resurrected and I've redeemed you that this power and authority is being given over to you. Giving. So the way that I lived in this power and authority, in the way Christ lived in this power and authority, there's a reverberated, echoing life that He is now taking and transferring this power and authority. It's a deputizing, right? It's a, it's a power transfer. And now he's speaking that onto these disciples. It's not a suggestion. This thing's driving me nuts. He's, this is not a suggestion. He's coming to them, speaking in this way, in this moment. And he's now not going to give a series of suggestions. He's going to give them some commands. We lay out some of these commands and... Some of the directives? Absolutely. As as Sean was saying, there's two groups of people here. It's very important to keep them both in mind at the same time because Christ is addressing both the worshipers and the doubters. They're both there at the same time, as Sean mentioned. And in that context, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore, because of that, because I am the sovereign Lord of the spiritual and material world, therefore, I have something for you guys to do. And that's very important. As Sean said, this is not an option. This is, this is known as the Great Commission, or a great command of what the church, what Christians are about, making disciples. If you look at verse 19, <clears throat> and in the beginning of 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to to observe all that I have commanded you. The main thrust here is the phrase, make disciples. That's the main verb, that's the main command, is that we are to make disciples. And so, what is a disciple? If we're supposed to make disciples, what is a disciple? Well, to answer that, first of all, I want to say what a disciple is not. And the reason I want to say what it is not is because the word is thrown a lot around a lot, and we mean different things by it. Churches and, and Christians use it in different contexts, and they mean different things. I want to clarify biblically what it does mean, but to do that, what does it not mean as it is commonly used today? For example, he does not mean we simply make converts to Christianity. Some people read this and say the big thing is evangelism and we need to make converts to Christianity. That's true. That is part of making a disciple. But if you just make converts and move on, that does not make them a disciple. The second thing that is not it's not a higher level of commitment. There's not like there's Christians and then there's these super Christians who are disciples. They're the studious ones. They're the ones who read all the John 
Piper books. They're the ones who download every podcast they get their hands on. They're special. They're really dedicated. They're the disciples. The rest of us are just Christians. It's okay. They're just different. No, it's not how the word is being used. And the third one is that it's not sometimes uh, referred to, we say we take a discipleship class. And we sometimes think of discipleship as learning. We're a student, so we learn more information. We come in, we open our three-ring binders, we listen to somebody talk, we take our notes, we close the binders, and we leave. We have been discipled. Check that off, I'm done. That's not discipleship. That's not the biblical concept of what it means to be a disciple. So what is a disciple of Christ? Well, we're going to be talking about that for the next this week and the next four weeks after this. But basically, a disciple really is just another word for a Christian. A disciple is a Christian, someone who has yielded and submitted to the sovereign grace of God in repentance and faith and continues to do that in, a, in an essence of a lifestyle, and they become followers of Christ. A disciple is another word for Christian, just like the Bible uses the word saints, or they'll use the word believers, or brothers and sisters. They're just different terms, but they carry different nuances. And disciple, calling somebody a disciple, being a disciple, carries a specific nuance. And a disciple is a dedicated follower of Christ who conforms his or her life to the example and teaching of Christ. That's the emphasis of calling Christians a disciple. Disciples embrace the gospel, the redemptive message of Christ, but they embrace it in such a way that they increasingly embody that message as they live it out in the world around them. So it's more than simply believing. It is believing to the point that it affects the way you live and what you say and what you do. That is what a disciple is. The main verb, as I said, is to make disciples. But Jesus doesn't, he goes, doesn't just leave it there, vaguely say, make disciples. Okay, we just need to reproduce disciples. He gives us three indications of what that looks like. It's not all there is to discipleship, but Christ, in this command, gave three, if you will, sub-commands. There's the, the command is to make disciples. Well, how do we do that, Lord? Well, I want to give you three things to do, three basic areas to work on. And they're emphasized in the word going, baptizing, and teaching. These are participles. They're, in essence, function as sub-commands. So to make disciples, we need to go, we need to baptize, and we need to teach. So what does that mean? Well, there's three aspects of making disciples, and we're going to look at those three fairly quickly. And this is a summary. I just want to emphasize now, uh, one of the frustrations that Sean and I uh, prepared this week for this message was that there is so much to say about making disciples and this great commitment, just this passage. And uh, so we're actually going to spend the next four weeks unpacking it more. So what we're doing today is summarizing. It's a call to discipleship, but we want to give some direction of where we're heading. And the three aspects, the three sub-commands of making disciples is to make disciples is to share the redemptive message, to make disciples is to celebrate redemptive community, and to make disciples is to live redemptive power. If you look at verse 19, the first part of it, to make disciples is to share redemptive message. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's going. This is an active. This is a verb that means movement. We know that. If I go from here to there, I am moving. From I have direction and I have uh, distance. I get someplace. It's intentional. The implication here is obviously that it's not passive, that it's not waiting around. Christians don't get saved and sit around for the Lord to come back. We have things to do. There is movement. And there's two kinds of intentional movement in this. The first one is direction. Notice that it says, go and make disciples of all nations, inclusive. Everybody gets to be made a disciple. We don't exclude 
anybody. There's no possibilities of somebody being excluded from our discipleship efforts. And the word nations isn't, doesn't simply mean geopolitical states like Mexico and Germany and that kind of thing. It's the word ethnos. It's ethnic. Think ethnic groups. Think subcultures. Think tribes. Think a, a group of people who have something in common, but they may and probably will be different from you. The fact that they're different is irrelevant. You, we still need to go to those people and make them disciples. There's a direction. We go out. We leave. This mirrors, this echoes the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation is simply that theological word we use to mean that Christ, who is fully God, took on the human form to identify with us and to provide redemption for us. He didn't have to, but he chose to intentionally become something that he wasn't so he can bring redemption. And that's, what, that's the model that we, ha we have here. The second aspect of intentional movement is there's an activity. This is one of those things that's easy to, to miss because it's so obvious. And that is, the activity is, make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Jesus says to his, it says in there in verse 16, his disciples, the people he's been spending three and a half years in, pouring his life and teaching in, now I've done three and a half years of this, I've culminated in my death and resurrection, now I want you to go. What I've just done for you for three and a half years, disciples, I now want you to go to do other people. So disciples make disciples who make disciples. And it goes on and on. That's very important to know. It's not simply a separate class of people. It's not a professional clergy thing. It is disciples make disciples. That's one of the marks of being a true disciple. You, this is a scary thought, reproduce yourself in other people. And uh, Paul says this in a number of places. This is very big in Paul's life, as it should be all of ours. He says that, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be, think about that. That's an audacious statement. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That is a very powerful thing. That is what being a disciple is. We, we create people. People invest in us, and we invest in other people. And those people invest in other people. It's a continuous chain of relationship and redemptive message. The second thing, to make disciples is to uh, celebrate uh, redemptive community. Look at the second half of verse 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing is a sacrament. It's a, it's a loaded word because it carries with it a tremendous amount of meaning just in the concept of what it is. We talked about this last week. We had a baptism here uh, last Sunday in the evening. So we very briefly talked about that. Baptism has two main emphases here. First of all, it's the um, identification with Christ. Specifically, when somebody is baptized, they're taken in the water, they're thrown, they're sum completely submerged, they're brought out. That's an identification with Christ's death and his resurrection. It's a public statement that what is true about Christ is now true for me. I'm a new creation in Christ. So that is one aspect of being baptized. That is the conversion aspect of it. But there's also another part of baptism, and that is that it means that we are included in the covenant community. We're included among the body of Christ. We're included in the redemptive community, the church. So the entrance into the church spiritually isn't simply saying a prayer. It is baptizing and making that public statement, I am now a part of it. And I, I, bring the, I get both the privileges and the responsibilities of being part of that redemptive community. It's interesting that he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is not a formula. This is not hocus pocus. This is no magic. 
He's, he's just encapsulating here a whole, whole lot of theology. And the main two things that to, in that is, first of all, he's, he's appealing to the perfect community. As we are included in the redemptive community, Christ is referring to what theologically we know as the Trinity. And that is perfect community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternally existing distinctly, yet the same. And that is the perfect. That is the model. That is what we are celebrating. That's what we uh, look for as an example for us. But it's also celebrating and thinking as we talk about what Christ has done for us. We don't want to forget what the Father has done for us and what the Holy Spirit does. Christ is sort of making sure that we don't just so, get so crystal-centric that we forget that there is a Father who loves us and draws us to himself. There is a Holy Spirit who, who uh, causes us to repent and works in our heart. It's, it's all-inclusive. So as we're part of redemptive community, we have to remember that it is also community with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We take the Lord's Supper every week here at Red Sea. And there's a lot of reasons. We've talked about this uh, even this summer, about why we take the Lord's Supper and how and those kind of things. One of the things I want to stress here is in this passage is being baptized, excuse me, the Lord's Supper is, is, is a celebration of the forgiveness that we have in Christ, His death and resurrection. But every time we take the Lord's Supper is also a celebration of that redemptive community. We do this together. Lord's Supper is not meant for you to take by yourself at home during your quiet time. It is meant to take when the church gathers as the body of Christ and we celebrate together what Christ has done for us and in us. Operative word, us, not just myself. The third thing to make disciples is to live by the redemptive power. Look at this, uh, verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, this is, I think, one of the biggest points of confusion we have with the concept of disciples. We equate disciple with student and the American educational system. We, we include disciple-making as a transfer of information. That we, if we get more information, then we are a better Christian, we are more, we're smarter, we know more. That automatically makes us a disciple and a better Christian. That's simply not true. Also notice, if you work at verse uh, 20, it says, what, is he te- what are we supposed to teach? It does not say we are supposed to teach the commands of Christ, does it? That's the way we read it. But it says to teach them to obey, or to observe, but literally it's to obey the commands of Christ. That assumes that it doesn't come naturally. It assumes that it's hard work. It assumes that there's some kind of accountability and that just because you tell somebody this is true about Christ, this is a command of Christ, that, that they will automatically know what to do with that. That's, Christ said, no, they won't. We need to teach, model, encourage, hold accountable, mentor, all those kind of things, people, so they see and can do and can apply the Word of God. They can abide by the Word of God. They can walk according to it. They can live in according to the Word of God. That is what it is. It's, it's more than head knowledge. It's that our lives are changed. Our thinking, our heart, our values, our conduct is changed. Just to give you a simple example, a couple weeks ago, for two weeks, we preached on forgiveness, biblical forgiveness. Hope you remember that. Matthew 18, a couple chapters earlier in this book. And Jesus, after talking about sins, comes to his disciples and says, okay, when your brother sins against you, in Matthew 18, this is what I want you to do. And he lays out some steps of what he wants them to do. We call it the process of forgiveness. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is that you get back together with people in harmony, in in, uh, unity with people, that at some point there is some kind of strife. Well, after he gives that, that goes through a detailed uh, uh, steps to take, 
What is Peter's reaction? Peter said, Peter was, said, well, Lord, does that mean I just need to forgive my brother seven times? Now, Peter did not misunderstand the steps, did he? He understood the commands. He was freaking out about the fact that he had to do it. He had to freak out, I have to obey this? Is, are you serious? Seven times? Is, I think that's really generous. What did Christ say? No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then just to drive home the point, Christ tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. The unmerciful servant is where there's a guy who is, uh, owes his master an outrageous amount of money. The master forgives him. He goes out and chokes and gets arrested. Somebody owes him a very small amount. And, he, and the master calls him back up, calls him back in. And the master asks him, one of the, one of the main thrusts of that parable is this line. Uh, the master says to the servant, in other words, Jesus is saying to us, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What's the obvious answer? Yes. What is Christ's point? Is it enough to know about forgiveness? Is it enough to know they have the steps, the process to forgiveness? No. You get no brownie points for knowing those things. What matters is that you live and that you actually forgive. There's a struggle. And those who refuse, not struggle, but those who refuse to forgive, Jesus in that passage calls into question whether they really know God's forgiveness. Because if they really know God's forgiveness, they're going to know how to give that away. So, to make disciples is to share the redemptive message, it's to celebrate redemptive community, it's to live by redemptive power. So what, is, what does that mean for Red Sea? What does it mean for us? A couple things. One is that, uh, you, I hope you hear in, in, this, in this Matthew 18, I mean, excuse me, the Matthew 28 passage, the Great Commission, I hope you hear the echo of our mission statement. If you read that, go and make disciples of all nations, Search, sure sounds a whole lot like deploying the culture. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sure hints at development in community. And to uh, go and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you surely uh, points to draw to Christ. That's not accidental. That's because our mission of our church is the biblical mandate that Christ has given every single church. The other thing that has to do with Red Sea is that over the coming weeks, we are going to be unpacking, we're going to be developing this concept of discipleship, this call to discipleship. We're going to be preaching on it for four more Sundays, and we're going to be unrolling, um, rolling out, I should say, some opportunities for you to be engaged in discipleship in some new ways at Red Sea. This is where I get a little bit more uh, confrontive with you. Often we uh, couch this as, uh, well, the church is doing this. The church is going to do discipleship. The church is going to do some programs or they're going to emphasize this to provide opportunities. Well, unfortunately, sometimes we hide behind the group that we're a part of. Sometimes we take credit for things that, or think that we're a part of something when we really have nothing to do with it. For example, many people have sports teams that they root for, and their team wins on Saturday. And what do they say? They say, we won on Saturday. We? We won on? I don't remember seeing you on the field. I don't remember you working hard. No, we didn't win. They won. You're celebrating. Well, it's the same in the church. There's many people who think, well, I attend the church. I participate in some of the activities of the church. That makes me living on mission with that church. That makes me a disciple. Uh, sorry, it doesn't make us a disciple. What makes us a disciple is being a disciple and discipling other people. So, as a confrontive aspect of that, I want to ask you three questions. If it is true in this command that to make disciples is to share the redemptive message, then are you investing in relationships to share that redemptive message? If it's true that we're supposed to be sharing that redemptive message, are you investing in relationships 
to share that redemptive message. If, secondly, if it is true to make uh, disciples is to celebrate redemptive community, are you participating in a redemptive community? Are you participating in a redemptive community? And thirdly, if, to make disciples is to live redemptive by redemptive power. Are you being transformed by the redemptive power of Christ? And if so, how would we know? So what's happening is what's always been happening, is Christ is revealing himself, his power and his authority, and it says from heaven and earth, and he's investing all of that power in heaven and earth that he has into us. This is God's ambition. This is what God is passionate about. This is why when you look at the scripture, look at the scripture with me, he says in uh, the latter part of verse 20, he says, behold, he's saying, pay attention Check this out. Look at this. Please, this is what God's all about. Take the time. Behold, this is the time that has come for the king and the kingdom. And so Jesus is investing in the people. This is what's always happened. The confrontation of the Scriptures to us today is, is this your implication? Does this implicate you in any which way? Are you being invested in? Does somebody have some power and authority that Christ gave them as a disciple, as a discipler, to be in your life? Do you give anyone permission with this power and authority to, to begin shaping your life through the Scriptures, through this way of life? And are you invested? Are you not only invested in your personal things, your finances, the way of life? Is this first among your life? Is this your job duty? Or is this taking place outside of your career, outside of your marriage, outside of your things, and then this is a, some segmented piece of life? This is life. I think Jesus is contending to say, I have died and resurrected. All of the power and authority I have, I give to you. Behold, think through these activities that I just talked about in developing this community. That's huge. Is this our way of life? Not the Sunday gathering and then I've I'm, I'm got a little icing on the cake. I'm doing extra good because I've gone... Uh, to a home community. Or I sat and I prayed with somebody. My neighbor, they lost their dog and they wanted me to pray for their dog. Is, that, is, is it going to come down to, and then I give a perfect 10%. All power and authority that's been given Christ from heaven to earth has been given to us in these activities, this sacred place in history. This has been echoing out since Christ said this, there's been disciples, there's been people being made and conformed in this way of Jesus. Really, what's actually happening here is Jesus is on a mountainside saying, you know the way that I lived among you, now I'm transferring that to you, now let's have that ricochet throughout history. Are you living the Jesus life? We get segmented and we label it. Or at times, this is so confrontative to go, well, how would I get this done? What is actually happening here is God is saying, you are the change agents, you are the transformational power and authority of Jesus now on earth. We're the game changers. We're the ones that are being sent to be into conversations. And, and we're scared. How will I do that? I don't know how to do that. How am I going to be uh, heroic? 
How, will, how is God's power and authority going to come through me? Jesus is standing there, and by the way, he has no army. Everybody's looking at him, and he's got power and authority dripping off of him, but it's like, are you going to send an army too that we get to be a part of? Do you have a lot of resources and money? Is there at least a checklist? Could you tell us so there's a way that we will know if we're doing this? We're scared. You're calling us to be the change agents now? That's good for you, but for us, I'm shaking a little bit. You want me in weird conversations and you want me to be a, have an allegiance to your kingdom come? Your kingdom? Not as I know it. Not as I dictate it. Not as I envision it. But as you have envisioned it through these activities, through this way of life, through this new identity, through these behaviors. You mean the implications of the cross coming to me and changing the way that I behave and have conduct and the activities that I'm a part of and the way that I invest my money and my time, what I read, what I watch, what I listen to, all of this has a stake in your kingdom being established here. That's what's happening. As we follow Jesus together, we become this catalytic community. We become this sacred organization that is scattered. He draws us close, and He knows we're deeply afraid. We're being set up in particularly here in St. John's and North Portland and Portland for a miracle to experience that power and authority. Do you think that Jesus is just kind of half apple? He's just kind of saying, you know, my power and authority, um, it's just awesome. I just raised myself from the dead, and hey, I want to give you guys that. What do you guys think? You guys want some power and authority here? Here's some power and authority for you. No, I think he's inviting us into a a life. I don't think there's any compromise in the life that we find in Jesus. I don't think he's saying that this is going to be limp, impotent. This isn't going to have the power and the strength of life itself. What do we learn about Christ is at the end... This says, at the end of the age, I will be with you. So I know you think you have not enough resources. I know you don't think you have enough money or have the right job or that you've, you've got the right identity. He's saying, hogwash, you have my power and authority and now that you're in me and you've been taught my way, then let's go out and do this. Let's do this. It's not based off of the world authority. It's not I had to leave some angels with you, some army, some resource. I'm calling you to move forward and to step into this. I've poured into you. And for all of your insecurities of wondering how it's going to be done, I will be with you. I'm crazy about you. I love this plan. You're in my plan. What do we learn about God is He has a sovereign plan. This is the plan till the end of the age till we see Him again. This is the anticipation that we get to live with. Where are you going to show up in this moment? I don't even know what to say. I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know what's going on in the gathering. But I remember earlier, Jesus, in Matthew 18, towards the end, verse 20, when you said, when two or three are gathered, you'll be there as well. He's always been promising this. He proved it through His incarnation. Him showing up in flesh saying, I'm with you. 
I'm completely with you. Yes, I'm in, with you in your brokenness, where you need to be healed, where you need to be lifted up. I'm rescuing you. I'm the risen Christ. I've already taken care of your junk. Now let's get on mission and move together and invest your whole life. Get wasted. Get yourself completely beside yourself through the Holy Spirit and that power and that authority and step up and step in and be used this way. This is who we are. This is our mandate. This is not just some history lesson. Jesus is alive today with us in presence now, whispering in your ear. I know you're nervous. I know you're insecure. I don't think you can do this. I just want to out somebody this morning. The woman who's singing on the stage with the worship, she's been for years in this process for her to be able to sing in front of you and lead you because this is the process of God telling us, I'm with you. You're stronger. You're in authority. You're in more power. We live in disbelief. We have a myriad of flipping lies in this world that are killing us. The adversary is totally against this. There is a power and authority that's trying to go up against what this is all about. This will be hard. This is struggle. But you must be at peace with who Christ is because He is with you. There's no greater truth than knowing that God is with you. If God is with you, who could be against? No one. His revealing to doubters and to worshipers. We doubt. How is it really going to happen? I'm really irritated. I don't have enough uh, resources here. God, you asked us to plant this church and it just seems like we flounder from here and here. This is gut check time. This is throw the throttle down. We can sit here and look at this thing and go, oh gee whiz, there's not enough money. There is not enough money ever in our minds. There's not enough knowledge. I, haven't, I don't know enough about the Scriptures. I don't know all the Greek and the Hebrew. You're not ever going to know enough. There's not enough momentum. Not enough people. There's not enough blah, blah, blah. God's saying, bring it. If my power and authority is not enough, then you missed it. He is whispering to your soul now. His power and His presence is here now. He is drawing closer to you every single day to take away your insecurities and your pain and all of the reasons that you think you can't participate. You get to participate no matter who you are. All nations, all backgrounds. That's even pain backgrounds and brokenness and all of the, the, the ridiculous labels and false images and identity you've taken on. Power and authority takes and washes that away. If you need to be baptized, be baptized. This is a part of growing and a part of initiating and being a part of. You're included. If you have not been taught, let's figure out how we will have a matrix of those who are being taught and those who need to be teachers. But you need to be poured into. The way of life here is that you get poured into and you're so filled up that you give all of that away. And the power and authority is when you feel empty, He can fill you completely to the rim and over again and again. That's grace. This is God's heart. We're not speaking our plan today. Hey, let's come up with something that'll just get them out of their chairs. We didn't come here to be a part of a club. We came here to live. To live life to the fullest have joy, be made complete, to have an abundance of life to give to someone who is dying without Jesus Christ. His presence will be with us till the end of the age. 
I want to read to you uh, something that an African pastor wrote. And these writings were found in his belongings after they had killed him. This is the echo life, remember. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've been stepped up and over the line. The decision's been made. I'm a disciple of His. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, and popularity. I don't have to be right or first or on top or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean into His presence. I walk by patience. I lift up and am lifted by prayer and I labor by the Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My walk is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought Compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, and paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and I will work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, there will be no problems recognizing us. Our and his colors will be clear. One man dead. Those are his words. But the words of, of Christ live. They're much stronger and they're more powerful than the echo. You heard one man's passion. We have our passion, but our root to all of life is found in Jesus Christ. I want you to look at that last verse and I want you to challenge yourself. Do you believe what Jesus has said? And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, the deal is as we go between faith and doubt and we wonder if our obedience, if anything will be fulfilled. We're wondering so often what is in it for us, but we must remember what God has said. This is my plan. I'm including you. I'm investing all of my power and authority in you. I will be taking care of you. And so often we doubt, will you take care of me? Let alone when I speak or I live in this way, will you take care of others around us? We are so deeply insecure. And I think that this is very, very clear for him to say, behold, take note. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. When there are two or three of you gathered, there I will be as well. So we must be together. We see that in this Scripture. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be together in community. That's perfect community. We must be this community. 
And here's what we must remember most. The power and the authority of the Gospel has been given us via the cross. We must go back to the cross. We cannot live this ridiculous mandate without the power of the cross, of recognizing that God and His power has manifest a new identity for us. We are new creations and we must understand that. And today, here's how we're going to close out our time today, is we're going to end up at these tables. You know why we go to these tables? Because it's the place where from day one God has said, I'm coming into your presence. Whether He's walking in the garden or He comes as a baby through a virgin, He is coming and being approachable and constantly calling doubters and worshipers to Himself. And He said, do this in remembrance of Me. This is the place at this communion table where He says, you will best remember Me when you bring your doubt, when you bring your worship to Me. And it's you and I. This symbol, this sacrament, this peace that says we are a part of him we come to this table where it symbolizes the power and the authority of the cross of him being broken and wrecked and his blood shed for our forgiveness this is where we find and are restored with our peace and he lifts you up to go live out on mission together not separate although he is with us always to the end of the age will you stand I think today's challenge is this. Will we get out of our seats? Will we, not, will we allow the power and the authority baton to be passed to us? Or will we sit and continue to try and figure out this life and inject Jesus into that? Or will we go straight to Jesus first in His primacy, in His superiority, in His Lordship, in His presence. Will we go to His presence first? Just as we are, not as we should be, but just as we are, will we commune with Him? And will we leave our places of comfort? Will we be the ones martyred? Will we stand for this truth? Not just through declaration, not through defense, but through demonstration. Will we live this way among each other and this is the mandate to draw to Christ because when we are sensing that we cannot do this, we need His power and authority. And we come to this table where His presence is. We, this is a very, very clear, sacred moment. Every week we come to be reminded of that. And then we leave this table after drawing to Him, after we draw and worship in this setting, and we become discipled and we become disciplers and we invest in other people as Christ has invested in us that is imperative you are very weak without development of community we are very weak when one does not invest their life we are weaker this is a challenge to invest all that you have into the gospel story we're not talking about investing in one name, Red Sea, or investing in anything other than what brings glory to God. And this place is on this biblical mission. It is a worthy place to invest your money, your time, and to invest your whole life to. And then we will deploy to culture. We will be this people that go to all nations. And we will be prayerful and lifted up. Let's sing and worship and bring our offerings. And let's commune at this table with Jesus. And then let's develop together and then go out and be this transformational, catalytic community that God has set aside in a sacred way
to have this mandate that we've heard this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.